This is a Federal News Network podcast. When it comes to getting funding for IT modernization in 2023, the Office of Management and Budget probably feels a little bit like that 1970s song by Meatloaf, where he sings, two out of three ain't bad. That's because lawmakers threw their support behind two of three government-wide IT modernizing accounts in the fiscal 2023 omnibus spending bill. Federal News Network's executive editor Jason Miller dug deep into the bill to find the nuggets that matter to the federal IT people. He joins me now with the latest. And Jason, let's begin at the beginning. Which of the three funds actually got support from Capitol Hill? Tom, I will withhold my desire to sing Meatloaf, two out of three aims. Thank you for that. Uh, I figured the, the audience and you would appreciate that. But the Federal Citizen Services Fund that's run by the General Services Administration really was the big winner, assuming Congress does its job and passes this bill and President Biden signs it into law. But basically what Congress did was they gave the Federal Citizen Services Fund nearly double the amount of money they received previously, a total of $90 million. Now, the House had approved the president's request of $115 million, so not quite at the full level, but still $90 million is pretty good, about $45 million more than what they got in fiscal 2022. And what the Federal Citizen Services Fund does, it's really that centralized fund to deal with a whole series of different things that GSA does. And it really gives the Technology Transformation Service at GSA, TTS, a lot of emphasis and really a lot of power with that money to really impact agencies agencies and agency services. The other piece of the Federal Assistance Services Fund that folks may not have really looked at, yeah, the top line number is nice, but what Congress also did was gave them new authority to, if you will, bank money or collect reimbursable money up to $200 million. Previously, that number was limited to $100 million, so an extra amount of money that they could keep money and collect money from other agencies to apply to these government-wide type of initiatives. And finally, Tom, the last piece of this to the Federal Citizen Services Fund is they actually were allowed to, if you will, pass the hat. Remember those days from uh, the Mark Foreman era? and the I sure do, yes. The government, they could pass the hat to collect money to apply to things and help support things like FedRAMP and data.gov and USA.gov. So big, big changes for the Federal Citizen Services Fund. Now, the second of all those funds that got some money is something called ITOR, the IT Oversight and Reform Fund that's uh, housed at the Office of Management and Budget. And that is mainly used by the U.S. Digital Services, among others. They got about almost $14 million, which, again, uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but for a small office, it, it really does go a long way. So. Those are the two big winners from the omnibus bill. And, of course, then the third one would be the Technology Modernization Fund, and that got something but not what the administration hoped. Not nearly what the administration hoped. The administration was hoping for about $300 million, and what Congress ended up giving them was about $50 million. Not small potatoes by any means, but it is still not quite as much as they had gotten previously, which, as we know, Tom, was about a billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan Act. Now, the interesting thing about the TMF is, they gotten zero money, zero new money in 2022. So that's a good sign that Congress at least says, okay, we understand you're starting to spend that billion dollars you got from the American Rescue Plan Act. So here's a little bit more, though obviously not nearly enough. The House did approve $100 million in their version of the bill. But I think the Senate, who's always been a little, I'll call it tepid when it comes to the Technology Modernization Fund, I guess the negotiations brought it down to about $50 million. Tom, just as a quick aside, that money, that billion dollars is rolling out. The TMF board now has made 23 awards more than worth more than 
worth more than $450 million, including 17 awards in 2022 alone that all came from that billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan Act in 2021. All right. And Jason, I know that you look beyond the numbers into the analytical perspectives. What are some of the policy provisions about IT that stood out to you as someone who's followed this for decades now, like me? Decades now. And and there's a lot in there. Two of them that I think folks really should pay close attention to in 2023. The first one actually focuses on something called OIRA. That's another OMB office, Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. OIRA, generally speaking, falls underneath the radar. Folks don't really realize the impact it has. They do run a lot of the regulations have to go through OIRA. They do run something called the Paperwork Reduction Act to make sure that agencies are following the PRA. And what Congress has asked OIRA to do is send them a report within 60 days of this bill becoming law to talk about how many full-time employees OIRA has. Tell us about your organizational chart. Provide us any recommendations to improve its oversight of the paperwork. Reduction Act. Now, Tom, I got in touch with one of the staff members on the Hill who's very familiar with these provisions, and they said, listen, a lot of times OIRA just flies under the lawmaker's radar, but it can really have a lot of impact on federal technology and data policies. And specifically around the Paperwork Reduction Act, there's some concerns that this law may be a little bit outdated and needs to be updated. And in fact, the OIRA administrator who just got confirmed by the Senate yesterday said during his confirmation hearing that they he too believes there's some updates that need to be made. And I think that's what Congress is looking for OIRA to do is submit those updates. That office has had influence and outsized kind of work that it's done in years past. I mean, I think during the Clinton and early Bush administrations, member Bruce McConnell, and it was an influential office, but it has not been heard from that much in recent years. You're absolutely right. And remember, Tom, one of the first policies I remember reading back in the early 2000s when I started covering this, talking about decades now, is the cookie policy that was put up by OIRA. I remember that one well, yeah keep the cookies on the website. Uh, and that was has been a big issue for a lot of agencies in, in terms of how they serve citizens and how they improve customer experience. Because as we know, Tom, if you go to any other site, they remember who you are. So they automatically fill in your name or your address or whatever it is because of those things called cookies. Tom, I'll just put one other thing out that also has not gotten a lot of, of attention from OMB or OIRA over the last uh, decade or so is Section 508. Now, Tom, we've talked a lot about this on your show over the last couple of months because Senator Bob Casey, the chairman of the Special Committee on Aging, has really been pushing hard on agencies to update how they're meeting Section 508 requirements. The omnibus bill does include a, some new requirements there. And I think it's a, it's a key priority because, again, how it affects citizen services, how the customer experience happens. And one of the provision does say is it puts a spotlight on GSA and OMB to improve and really relook at Section 508 compliance and requirements and the like. So two, two big ones that I think are coming in the near term. With respect to the efforts going on now by the administration to modernize IT, did you get a sense of whether Congress kind of supports what's going on? It seems like they did with the Citizen Services Fund because that relates to CX and OIRA might weigh in with a new cookie policy for customer experience. Or are they worried about where things are headed? It's definitely a mixed bag when you're looking at the provisions and the separate bills. And, Tom, I've gone through the uh, 4,000-page bill, and I'm sure I've missed something, but I found a lot of provisions that are very supportive of 
For instance, CIO authorities. I'll give you an example. It says in the Agriculture Department and the State Department portions of the bill, the CIO must be a part of the budget-making process. They must have say in terms of final decisions around acquisition, about funding, about investment decisions. So I think that's really positive. On the opposite side, there's provisions in there, Tom, that says, for instance, DHS cannot spend any money under the Technology Modernization Fund unless they meet these sets of requirements, including getting approval from their authorizing and appropriation committees. And that seems to throw a little bit of a wrench into the DHS process to one, apply for the money, and two, then spend the money because it can really delay if Congress says, we want 15 days or 30 days until we give you approval. The other big area that I'll point to is something around login.gov. And this is an area Capitol Hill has expressed some concern over the years, specifically about how GSA is promoting the use of these credentialing services. GSA is trying to get more agencies to use login.gov. Lawmakers want agencies to have that option to use credentialing services that are independently certified against the NIST requirements and guidelines and and really focus on fraud prevention and cost reduction. So I think there's some concern about a a really key piece to this modernization effort around login.gov. Just a couple examples of of this kind of hot and cold area that the lawmakers are applying to IT modernization. Yes, login.gov is really should be fundamental to all of the modernization, especially for citizen-facing applications. But the, the take-up has been spotty, really, by the consuming agencies. Absolutely right. Now, they've gotten a lot more agencies to, to look into it and say, we want to try it out, we want to test it out, we want to use it. I know Robin Carnahan has told our colleague Jory Heckman earlier this year that her goal was to really increase the usage, maybe getting closer to 40 million users. idea here is that there's a lot of private sector companies who are providing very similar services, and the concern is, is, is the government bleeding into the commercial space, and can, they, and the, can the government really do better than the commercial space when it comes to identity and access management? And I think that's some of the concern coming from Capitol Hill. And, of course, Tom, we can't dismiss the lobbyists that get there and get in the ear of the congressmen and, and senators who say, hey, this is unfair. This is, you know, goes against competitive sourcing, if you will. Well, there's hope on all these fronts. Who knows? Maybe SAM.gov won't be a horrible thing one of these years. Anything is possible. Well, SAM.gov has gotten a lot better, Tom. Don't worry. I, I, can, I can vouch for that. It's not perfect, but much better than FedBizOps. It's definitely better. But let's say, as GAO would say, there's still room to improve. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. And be sure to check out all of his IT budget coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. 
And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, DC. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story. Like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and, and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And and you know that you know just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded everyone yeah. is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, 
I, I can't imagine that won't help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.